About four years ago, Rhonda and I bought a, a travel franchise and, and we have been booking travel ever since. And when I say we've been booking travel, we've been booking travel, uh, I actually mean, and some of you know this, I actually mean Rhonda has been booking travel. And while it's true that I help a little bit, um, Rhonda's actually the one that's doing the booking and the research, etc. But we do like to travel, and we really enjoy helping people enjoy their travel, make their travel worthwhile. So the travel business has been a blessing to us, and uh, hopefully the travel business has been a blessing to the many clients that uh, Rhonda's been able to, to help over the years. One of the primary forms of travel that we book um, involves travel on a cruise ship. And we've learned that people look for primarily three main qualifiers. These aren't the only things that they look at, but when, when someone's picking a cruise, we notice that, well, one of the qualifiers is what do they have for the kids? Do they have programs and activities? Is it fun for the kids? Another qualifier when people are looking for a cruise ship is what size is it? Is it super big? Is it a great big ship with a lot of features? Big auditoriums for the show, maybe coffee shop? Or is it smaller and more intimate? Smaller ships can get into smaller ports and you get to know the people around you uh, on a smaller ship. So relationships might be a little bit easier to form. A third qualifier that we've identified when people are trying to take a cruise or a cruise ship is How's the entertainment? Do they have good shows? What's the quality of the entertainment on the ship? Brothers and sisters, the church is not a cruise ship. And yet many people use similar questions and thought processes when they choose a church. Just the, the wording of choosing a church rankles, bothers me. One of the qualifiers that people use when they're choosing a church is, what are the half of my kids? Do they have programs and activities that will keep it fun and keep the kids entertained? Another qualifier is what size church? Is it super big with lots of great features, big auditoriums, maybe coffee shop? Or is it smaller and more intimate? Smaller churches can be easier to plug into. And there aren't quite as many people and staff, so relationships will be easier to form. And the third qualifier I've heard when people are choosing a church is how's the entertainment? How good is the preacher? What about the quality of the music and the worship team? Brothers and sisters, the church is not a cruise ship. And yet, we as Americans are very much consumers. We live in a consumerist environment. Our society is a consumer society. Yesterday, about this time, Ron and I were about to head to the airport, and I remembered that there was a resource that I needed for the upcoming Bible book series, Isaiah, which I'm excited about. I remembered I need that. I need that resource. Ken and I have been talking about 
this series and how we're going to approach it and what we have in store for you. And we're asking the Lord to lead us. And while I'm thinking about that, I'm in another country. I'm on, basically on my way to the airport. And I thought, I need that resource. I've been meaning to order it. So I whipped out my phone, found the Crossway website, plugged in my website, plugged in my credit card information, and I ordered that resource. If we want it, we get it. If we don't have the money for it right now, no worries. We can put it on the credit card. And when will that resource arrive? Well, it probably will be delivered to our house sometime tomorrow, only because I didn't ask for expedited delivery. Even though we live in a consumerist society, we must remember what the church is and what the church is not. And as I look back on the book of Acts, I really see that one of the ways we can look at Acts is this is how the church started. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would um, speak through me, that um, there would be willing ears and listening hearts and that uh, they will receive the words that you've given to me to give to them. I pray that I will be faithful in speaking the word in truth and in love. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless us and allow us to hear your word in truth and in love. The first focal passage, I want amen. The first, yeah, I better say amen. Uh, the first focal passage that I have for you, I'm ready to go. Can you tell? It was Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I want you to see the blueprint for the church. So we're at that um, wonderful time in a book study where we're wrapping it up and we're uh, looking back with affection on what the Lord has had for us over the, the past several months. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, we see the blueprint for the church. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The, questions that, the question that the disciples had right now was, what's next? This is before the birth of the church. This is just after the cross. This is during that 40 days when Jesus showed himself to hundreds of disciples. This is after the resurrection. This is before Pentecost. This is before the birth of the church. And the, the Jewish disciples of Jesus are wondering, what's next? What's going to happen next? Jesus, are you going to restore Israel to its former position, its power, and its glory? Hey, you've conquered death. Restoring the kingdom is no big deal. And Jesus says, no. The timing is not for you to know, but you will receive power. It's interesting. The disciples knew that Jesus had the power. They knew that he had the authority. And Jesus says, you're going to get this power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. 
And then he lays out for them how the church is going to grow, how it's going to develop. It's going to start in Jerusalem, the city. It's going to go to the region around Jerusalem, Judea. And then it's going to move up north a little bit to those people who are sort of like us, but not really, the Samaritans. It's going to go to Samaria. And then it's going to go to the utter ends of the earth. By the way, brothers and sisters, we are the utter ends of the earth. The gospel has spread to us. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. And Jesus tells them that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The church will not be born until the Christians receive the Holy Spirit. And Christians, we're supposed to do something that is very difficult to do. You know what that is? Wait. That is probably the hardest thing that I have to do on a regular basis is wait. I'm not good at it. That's an excuse. Sometimes it's a sin. I get ahead of the Lord. Jesus tells them that they will be his witnesses. This is the blueprint in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Notice the pebble in the pond. Notice the ripple effects of how what started in Jerusalem with really Jesus and his 12 disciples, maybe their 70 in their company, Maybe a few hundred at this point in time because the Apostle Paul says that Jesus showed himself to over 500 disciples. So this pebble in the pond has already having a ripple effect. And so it's not too many years after this, maybe a couple hundred years, where the Roman Empire is going to be dominantly Christian. And so when we look at Acts, we first look at how it started and what the blueprint was. And the blueprint was the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to take the message to the world. And that's exactly what's happened. And then as we move through the book of Acts, though, we see that the church had many ups and downs. Let's look now at Acts chapter 4. We're going to read a couple verses at the end of chapter 4 and a couple verses at the beginning of chapter 5. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. As you read through Acts, if you take the 10,000 foot view and you're flying over Acts and you look down, you're going to see that it looks like the church is on this incredible roller coaster ride. High highs, low lows. Chapter 4 ends with a high. Barnabas, we're introduced to him as a, um, a great disciple and follower of Christ. He's going to have a tremendous impact on the life of Paul. We see that Barnabas is so generous and gracious. He sells a piece of property and brings the proceeds and lays it at the apostles' feet. And he is indicative of what the whole church was doing. Acts chapter 4 tells us that no one in the church had need. They all shared 
and they shared the resources. They pooled the resources, they shared the resources. And this is a high, high. This is in Acts chapter 4. And then Acts chapter 5 comes. And this is a low, low. Because Ananias and Sapphira lie to the church, lie to the Holy Spirit, and they are struck dead. So many ups, so many highs in Acts for the church. We think of Pentecost, the birth of the church. We think of the explosive growth. Many times in Acts, the scriptures say that thousands were added to their number daily. We see that the deacons are going to be chosen. Evangelists sent out, like Philip, who witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch. We see that, as was mentioned in chapter 4, that no needs were unmet. We see the salvation of Saul, who becomes Paul in Acts chapter 9. We see that Cornelius and the Gentiles, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, how incredible it was that a message that had been up to that point primarily contained to the Jewish people, the good news of the gospel is breaking out past the Jewish people and it's going to the Gentiles. Cornelius is a representative of that. We see the Jerusalem Council. We see Aquila and Priscilla who are tent makers along with Paul and we see their discipleship of Apollos. Other highs, the first mission trip of Paul, the second mission trip of Paul. Paul goes to Rome. We see that Paul is delivered through incredible circumstances and to do the will of the Lord in Rome. But there are a lot of downs too. What roller coaster doesn't have its downs to go with those ups? We see Ananias and Sapphira. Wow. What a story. We see the death of Stephen, the first, one of the first deacons. And why, why does he die? He dies because he's a faithful witness for the truth. We see that James, the brother of John, also is martyred. We see that Peter is imprisoned. We see that Paul is beaten and scourged and put in prison time after time. We see Paul and Barnabas eventually in contention and separation. We see Paul stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, rescued, and then bitten by a snake. Lots of ups, lots of downs. And then we see the conclusion of Acts. If you'll turn to the last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28. I'm going to read the last two verses of Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. He lived there two whole years. He's talking about Paul. He's living in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came in, came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So this is the end of the book of Acts. How abrupt. What an ending. If you're reading along and if, you're, if your Bible page ends on Acts chapter 28, it's on the right-hand page down at the bottom. You flip the page, you're ready to go on what happens next. But we don't have that. It's quite an abrupt end, really, when you think about it. And I think about how different the end of a sermon series on a book of the Bible is as compared to the beginning. We're getting ready to go into Isaiah. And so we look at a book like Isaiah with some fear and trepidation because it's a big book. And there's a lot of things in there that 
We don't necessarily understand. I think about what Bethany said in Sunday school this morning about how the kids look at the textbooks at the beginning of the year and say, there is no way we're going to get through all of that. But through faithful day-to-day discipline, we'll get through it. And we've studied many books. I remember the first major book that we tackled as a church was the book of Mark and how I fell in love with that gospel and its portrayal of Jesus. 43 messages later, we wrapped up Mark. And we've done James, we've done Psalms, we've done Colossians, we've done Philippians, we've done Titus, we've done uh, Genesis, we've done John. Wow, that was, that was an amazing process. But how different the end of a book looks after we've traveled together and read the Word and studied the Word and see what the Lord has for us, both individually and as a church. How great that is. How the Lord changes us through the study and the preaching and the teaching of His Word. And that's how Acts ends in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. But I want to talk to you about Acts 29. Acts 29, Kevin, you just told us that Acts 28 is the end. Well, what's Acts 29? Well, here's the deal. Acts 29, the story of the church is still ongoing. There's actually a a great organization called Acts 29. And it, it took me years before I figured out, oh, there's only 28 chapters in Acts. Acts 29, okay, I, I think I get it now. But the church is still going strong. 2,000 years later, it is the longest lasting organism. And it is an organism because it is alive that is in the history of the world. You know, we marvel sometimes at the U.S. Constitution and our form of government because it has survived now for... I guess we're getting close to 250 years, but you realize that the church has been in existence and growing eight times longer than the U.S. government? We are a part of Acts. We are Acts 29. The Lord is writing the history of the church through us. Well, I'd like to thank J.D. Greer for his uh, illustration Helping us understand that the church is not a cruise ship. And just this week, my son Trevin had a blog post reminding us that the church is not a restaurant either. What are you in the mood for today? Oh, I don't know. What are you in the mood for today? So many restaurants surely will find one that meets our needs. What kind of church are you in the mood for today? Oh, I don't know. Surely we'll find one that meets our needs today. The church is not a cruise ship. The church is not a restaurant. What is the church? Well, the church is a building. Not a physical building. But it's clear from the scriptures that the church is a building and Jesus Christ is its one true foundation. And we are scaffolding that the master builder has brought alongside the church to build certain elements of that church, and he moves us around at his will. The church is a building, the church is the body. The church is the body of Christ. The head of the church 
is Jesus. We are the body. Look around. Look at the rest of the body. Not everyone is like you. And you're not like everybody else here. And that's a good thing. Imagine a body that was all... Hey, kids. Imagine a body that was all arms. It'd be kind of hard to walk, wouldn't it? Or imagine a body that was all legs. It'd be pretty hard to feed yourself. Imagine a body that was all eyes and no ears and no... No, we need each other. We are different. We are different on purpose. The Lord has gifted all of us with many gifts that we need. And you know what? He did this on purpose. We need each other. We're not to be separated from one another and we are to work together in tandem. Our church's motto is helping people find and then follow Jesus. Pretty simple. Are we helping people find Jesus? Are you helping people find Jesus? Yeah, that's evangelism. We need to be sharing the good news of the gospel with the people that we come into contact with. This is one of the things that I pray for every single day. Lord, will you open my eyes and give me the courage to use my mouth to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to the people who are dying and going to hell around me. Will you pray with me? Will you pray that? Can you pray that? Lord, will you please open my eyes? Will you help me see the people around me who are dying and going to hell? Will you give me the courage to speak the good news of the gospel, to share with them what I've already found? Amen. We help people find Jesus. That's one of my daily prayers. And then we help people who have found Jesus follow Jesus. That's discipleship. We have evangelism. We have discipleship. We have both. We need to have both. They are the same coin, two sides. Once a person trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we don't let them go. We don't say, okay, good, we got that covered. No, it is our responsibility to help them grow in the faith, to become sanctified, to help them conform to His image, even as we are being conformed to His image. This process of discipleship This sanctification, this is why we do small groups. This is why we did Sunday school in the first hour. This is why we do community groups. This is why we do Awana. These small groups are where discipleship becomes real. And we all do, we do all of this. We do all of this because our job as a church is to help people meet and then follow Jesus. Everything we do or not do as a church will be measured by this. Are we faithful to the purpose that God has called us? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will open my eyes to those around me who are lost and that you will give me the courage to speak to them the good news of the gospel, that I'll tell them about you, that I'll tell them about what your son did for us, Father that I will invite them to come share in the goodness of your church and see the body of Christ in action. And I pray, Lord, that you will send laborers into the harvest so that this process of sanctification, this process of discipleship will be truly developed 
and will be carried out in accordance with your will. And we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus.